0: You are worthy of all glory, of all honor. God, I am amazed um, at how you have spoken this week. I'm excited about the word that you have for us today. God, I ask that as we um, are gathered here this morning, that our hearts would be awakened by your glory, by your love. That our hearts would be made into your likeness. That the things... Um, that you want, that you desire, that you love, that those would be reflected, not just in how we feel, but in how we live. Father, be with us this morning as we hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, team. Now, Leah did not know this this week, um, but I spent a lot of time in the book of Revelations, which I don't think is an accident. As you guys saw, we read several passages out of there this morning. Um, And I just, again, I want to point that out because I I always want to keep before you when the Lord is speaking. As God is revealing himself to us, his people, we want to bring uh, attention to that, right? That's why we're here. Um, You know, as you guys know, today we're going to, I've been kind of sharing with, this with you and keeping it uh, ahead of you as we've kind of progressed through the book. But today is going to be our last Sunday in the book of Ecclesiastes, unless God says something different during this week, which he could, we'll see what happens. But I believe that today will be the end of this book. And, and what is tempting for a person like myself is, you know, in the event that anybody missed a Sunday or they missed something that God said, is to, to try to recap everything that God has taught us over this last year. But as you can probably imagine, that would not um, be, uh, we wouldn't be capable of doing that within this setting today, nor would it be kind for me to try to put a year's worth of teaching in one Sunday. Can we agree on that? Yeah, okay. So we're not going to do that, all right? However, it is good for us um, to really take a, a long, good look at the overarching theme that God's had for us in this study this year, right? So today we're going to do that. We're going we're to take... Uh, the time that we have, and we're going to try to kind of boil down a few thoughts that God has, has shared with us this year. That's my intent for today. We're going to look at this last piece of, uh, of scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Um, I want to start today with verse 13. We're going to read the whole thing in a minute, but I want to share with, with you verse 13 because this is kind of the thesis of this book, and it's going to be the basis of what we talk about today. Okay, so it says this, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it says, when all has been heard, The conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. If you'll recall, when we looked at this at the beginning of this study, we we talked about the fact that fearing God means that we are living in right relationship with him right? We talk, we call that at the, at the gathering place, we call that abiding, which simply means that we are listening for God's activity. We're watching for God's activity, asking him how we are to respond. And then we do what he says. And then we see God for who he is. We see his character. We see that God is love, that he is good, that he's active, that he's alive. And that draws us to repeat that process, right? To go back to God and say, okay, God, that was amazing. What do you have next for me? Right? That's what we do here. We talk about that regularly in order to keep our focus on that because what we know happens often in our lives is we get busy with the things that are going on in life and we tend to lose our focus. So that's why we talk about it all the time because we don't want to let other people or culture determine how we live. We want to let God determine how we live. And God created us to be in relationship with Him, and we want Him to be the one that's guiding our lives. That's how He created us in the beginning when He created Adam and Eve. The purpose of that relationship was for us to walk with Him, to live in perfection in the garden. And that's what we are striving for. That's why Jesus came, and we're going to talk about that. But the first point I want to make today, and this comes out of verse 13, is that we are to know God personally. Okay, And we talk about at the gathering place that we do that by experience. I want to share just a brief story with you guys because I want you to see how this happens. I shared with you guys last week that I'd read in one of my daily readings for that day. I said it was in one of the prophecies, but I couldn't remember which, which one. But this idea of, of, of knowing God in a way that, we're, that we read His Word and we're changed by it, and it changes how we live. After Life Group last week, I was talking through that with Russ. We were outside by ourselves, and I shared that idea with him um, that... that what I want for me and for you is that we would read, we would understand, and we would obey God's word. And I know that sounds super simple, but that is the goal, right? It's for us to know God by, by living out what he's called us to do. And, and I, I couldn't tell him, just like I couldn't tell you exactly where that came from, but it came from Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8 is what I read last week. Um, but I didn't tell Russ that because I couldn't remember it. Okay, but read with me Nehemiah 8 verse 8. This is what I read last week. It says, they read out of the book of the law, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. And for me as your pastor, that's a really important passage for me, right? Because it's my job, my responsibility to read God's word and then to relate it to you in a way that you can understand, a way that you can grab hold of it and own it for yourself, well, later in this week, Russ sends me a text, and it just says, Ezra 7.10. And I want to read that for you this morning. It says, now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of God, obey it, and teach its statues and ordinances in Israel. And if you look at that passage in your Bible, there's a little, uh, I almost said link. That's not what's in a paper Bible, but you follow what I'm saying. There's a little little letter there, and if you go to the margin and you read where that's pointing to, guess where it's pointing to? Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 through 8. And so when that happened, that's an experience with the Lord. God put a thought on my heart. I shared it with another believer. And then he texted me that week. He's like, hey man, and I think Russ is writing a a commentary on the book of Ezra right now. But he didn't know that what I read was out of Nehemiah chapter 8. He just read that this week and said, man, that's exactly what Will was talking about. And he sent it to me. Now, when I looked at the link and saw that it was Nehemiah chapter 8, I'm paying attention now. I'm like, okay, God. I see you, I hear you. What do you have for us? What are you trying to say? If you think about who we are as a church, the point of all of this, the point of the time that we spend together is so that we can know God's word, right? That we can look at it together and the hope, the purpose is that it not only not only does it go in here, but it moves down to here and it changes the way that we make decisions. It changes the way that we look at the world around us. We've studied the book of Ecclesiastes with this idea that we are to be God's love in a broken world. And what we've talked about over and over and over again through that study is is that the only way that we can ever be God's love in a broken world is to know God. And so for me this week, as I'm thinking about how do we wrap this all up, God puts this word before me that we are to, to read his word and to obey it to understand it, and to obey it. Now, I'm not insinuating that you aren't learning, that you aren't understanding, you're not obeying. I just want to remind you and I want to remind myself that that's the point, that the reason that we gather here on Sunday mornings is not just so that I can have a, an outlet to share all the things that God's speaking. That's good, but the purpose is life change for all of us, not just for me, but for you as well. We don't, learn, we don't gather here just to learn facts about the Bible. The purpose of this study wasn't to break down the Hebrew language and understand their culture at that time so that we can know every little thing about what the author of Ecclesiastes was trying to say. The purpose of us being here is to hear a word from the Lord and let Him change us into His likeness as we hear and understand that word. That's the purpose. His purpose for us in this study has been to know Him in a deeper way. And to let that knowledge and relationship bring us into the depths of God's goodness. Because what you learn as you walk with the Lord is that you may think you understand Him. But the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you learn, the more you understand. I was telling my boss this week, I said the phrase I've said here many times of, you don't know what you don't know until you realize you don't know it. And he was like, what? But you don't know what you don't know. And that's, that's true for area, area, every area of your life. And so for us, our purpose is to let God reveal to us what we don't know and what we don't understand. And I hope that that is what has happened for you this week, and I hope that it happens uh, this whole year, and I hope that it happens today as well. We also discussed last week that as we dive deep with God, that others are drawn to Him, and they experience Him vicariously through us at first, that that's how that relationship for them begins Right? We've talked about Colossians so much about how Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so what that means for us as believers is that as we are walking out our faith with the people that God has around us in our lives, that they're going to see the overflow of the Holy Spirit as we do that. And it's that overflow that draws people to God. Our personal knowledge of the person and the character of God, when we share it by the way we live, is a revelation for those that don't have that knowledge. When you, when you act according to God's character, when you do, the say, do and say the things He tells you to do and to say, you don't look like this world. You love in a better way than this world does, and it grabs people's attention. It's revolutionary for them to know the love of God in a church culture that has for so long taught only the rules and not talked at all about the relationship. That's revolutionary. When you you talk to somebody and you tell them about the experiences that you're having with God and the things that God is speaking personally into your life, most often people are like, what? God speaks to you? And they think we're crazy, right? You've experienced that before. But we know by experience that, and, and God says, we looked at this last week, that He is a good shepherd and His sheep know His voice. God is more than capable of speaking to us in ways that we can understand. As you know, when we began this study with this last passage, we're we're going to read it again today in just a minute, because I want to remind us of all that God has spoken. Rather than just repeating the first message, I want to share with you my heart today in hopes that Christ will grab your attention this morning like He's had mine this week. This has been a really neat week for me because it was not one of those where I had to look at a piece of Scripture and try to figure out and decipher what the Lord was trying to say because we've been through this for a year. So this week was really enjoyable for me because I'm able to, to think about all the things that God has already spoken this year and then ask Him, what is it that you want me to focus in on today? As we wrap this up and put a bow on it, where do you want our hearts and our minds to be this morning? So let's read verses 8 through 14 and then talk about it a little bit. Beginning of verse 8 it says, absolutely hevel. It says futility up there, but remember we talked about that word being translated as hevel absolutely hevel says the teacher everything is hevel in addition to the teacher being a wise man he constantly taught the people knowledge he weighed explored and arranged many proverbs the teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately the saying of the wise are like cattle prods and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails the sayings are given by one shepherd But beyond these, my son, be warned, there is no end to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Now, the three main points that I made when we looked at this at the beginning of this year is that our lives are temporary that we're to love and obey God and that we're to look at the end to give us perspective on how to live in the present, right? We've been through that. We've talked about that a lot this year. We talked a lot that first Sunday about how we are so easily distracted by the world, right? And this year, With the hurricanes, with COVID, with all of the things that have been going on this year, it's been even, for me at least, I can only speak from my perspective, it's been easier to be distracted this year than it's ever been in my life. Because there are so many things that are wanting my attention all the time. My point when we talk about this is that we often miss out on what God is doing in the world around us and in our own lives because we get distracted by the world. My thoughts this week have been... In the areas of how are we living right now, today, in light of what we've learned this year? How are we living right now? What has this study changed about how you live? Life is temporary, and we've experienced that firsthand in the world and in Scripture, right? There have been thousands of people that have passed away due to COVID. We know more than ever the value of life, and that we are to hang on to that with with every bit of being that we have we don't want to waste any of it because life is precious in order to help us get this message deep into us today we're going to, i want to use a very specific example of what it means to value life because for me as i look at this book i'm looking at a man who lived his whole life at the end of his life he said i've i've studied everything i've done everything i've gone everywhere i've been everywhere man sorry i couldn't help it I just want to get your attention At the end of his life, he said, this is what's most important. Fear God and obey his commands. So today I want to use a very specific example of what it means to value life, okay? And it's an appropriate example. I don't know if you know this or not, but it is Adoption Awareness Month. And today is Adoption Sunday. I did not know that today was Adoption Sunday until this morning, okay? But the Lord is speaking. I knew it was Adoption Month but there was a very specific thing that happened this week that I wanted to share with you guys and I want you to think about, okay? And I'm gonna be honest with you, it's about to get real in here, okay? So you need to prepare yourself for that. As you guys know, there was a vote on an amendment with the following wording. We all voted on it this week. To protect human life, a right to abortion and the funding of abortion shall not be found in the Louisiana Constitution. Now, my goal today is not to discuss this Constitution or how you should have voted. What I want us to do today... So I want us to consider the following questions as they relate to the value of life. I want you to ask yourself these questions. If you voted yes, affirming your pro-life stance, does God think that your job is done now? What's the role of the church in the lives of the women that for a multitude of very complex reasons desire to abort? How has your personal relationship with God shaped your view of human life? Church, we've had a lot of conversation over the years about how many of us were fed up with the church because they would preach one message and live another, right? We all know that. We feel that in our bones. We've been burned by dead religion. But church, I want you to hear me say this. If we protest at abortion clinics, if we march for life or we vote against abortion and we don't step up and take care of the mothers and the children that are impacted by those decisions, we are no better than the ones that we are fed up with. Life is precious, and every baby, every child, and every adult are image bearers of God, and we need to see that. We need to understand that our vote, our march, our protest, whatever it is that you decide that you need to do, is much bigger than a moment. As professing followers of Christ, we should value life in a way that Christ did by being willing to give up our lives for the sake of others. Think about this. If the Supreme Court were to overturn Roe versus, Roe versus Wade and access to abortions were no longer available in the state of Louisiana, would you be as willing to adopt? Would you be as willing to adopt as you were to vote? Because if the answer is no, you're living a lie. You cannot say that you value life and watch a child suffer. There are already more foster children in this state than we have foster homes. And there's a very real possibility that that's about to get even more important than ever. There's going to be more need than there's ever been before. And listen, church, God has some real serious feelings about widows, about orphans, and those in need. And we need to hear this, and we need to see it, because if we're going to be God's love in a broken world, we need to see the world the way that God sees it. Because when we voted yes, if that's the way you chose to vote, God doesn't say, mark it off your list, you're done now. God says, strap up your boots, it's time to go to work. We need to read these passages. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said this morning in one of my devotions about the role of our feelings in relationship to living in obedience because I'll be honest with you. Anytime we start to talk about feelings, think, people think, oh, when you get your feelings involved in your faith, then you're just trying to get manipulated. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said. This is a guy a lot smarter than me. He said, a state of emotion always comes between the knowledge and the act. A feeling of pity would never arise in a human breast unless aroused by a mental picture of others' distress. And without the emotional bump to set off the the will, there would be no act of mercy. That is the way we are constituted. Whether the emotion aroused by a mental picture be pity, love, fear, desire, grief, there can be no act of the will without it. And so the question is for me, question is for you how does God feel and how should we feel about widows and orphans how does God feel about it let's look at some scripture together Exodus 22 verses 22 through 24 you must not mistreat any widow or fatherless child if you do mistreat them they will no doubt cry to me and I will certainly hear their cry My anger will burn and I will kill you with the sword. Then your wives will be widows and your children will be fatherless. That's real serious. God is not kidding around when it comes to his children. And I don't want to beat a dead horse. I know that we have talked many times about about, um, the need for adoption. But I want to show you that while many consider this amendment a victory for the church, it is much more than that. It is time for the church to live out what they say they believe about the value of life. Church, we are commanded to care for the fatherless. God doesn't tell us to care for them if we have time. God doesn't tell us to care for them if we feel like it. God doesn't tell us to take care of them if it's convenient for us. Look at Deuteronomy fourteen twenty-eight through 29. It says, at the end of every three years, bring a tenth of all your produce for that year and store it within your city gates. Then the Levite who has no portion or inheritance among you, the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow within your city gates may come, eat, and be satisfied. And the Lord your God will bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So the scripture says that God's going to care for the orphans, but how does it say he's going to do that? What is the avenue in which God takes care of the orphans? It's the church. It's God's people. He is using his people. And in case you're not clear, that's us. We are God's people. Look at Psalm 10, 14. But you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take the matter into your hands. The helpless one entrust himself to you. You are a helper of the fatherless in church we have seen the brokenness of this world this year and we know up here that there are children who don't have a mommy and a daddy in the state of louisiana right now that are waiting to be adopted there is no greater way to be god's love in a broken world than to follow his command to take care of orphans A friend of mine, Melissa Smith, shared these words that her husband, Brian, wrote um, in 2016 when they were on the way to adopt one of their children, whose name is Beckett. Brian wrote this He said, Why do we adopt? Read the word. All throughout Scripture, we see commandments to care for the orphan, meet them in their affliction, defend the fatherless. God has concern for the orphan, and from the days of Moses, on to the teaching of the apostles, he commanded his people to meet the needs of the orphan. There is no mention of a calling to do so, just commandments. Like feed the hungry, clothe the naked, care for the poor, defend the fatherless, and care for the widow. I love that he points out that there's not a calling for orphan care, but a command. Listen, if you see a child standing in the middle of the street, do you need God to call you to remove that child from the middle of the street? Or do you just know that that child needs to get out of the middle of the street? You know, God doesn't have to speak from heaven for you to know to save that child. And the same is true for orphans. We know they're there, but what do we do about it? If we've learned anything this year, it's that life is hard and it's unfair, right? We define hell as the fact that the world is upside down, that it's broken, that it's not the way that it should be. And as difficult as it has been this year for you personally, can you imagine doing that without your mom or your dad? Can you imagine living through 2020 with no mother and no father to care for you? A mom or a dad to say, it's going to be okay. I know you're scared, but it's going to be okay. Listen, I know more than most all the things that go through your mind when you think about adopting a child. And it's hard And it requires sacrifice. But isn't that the very thing that Jesus role modeled for us? That we were in need and he gave his life for us. Have you considered how much harder it is for orphans' lives with no parents than yours could ever be by adopting a child? Have you thought about that? You think, Will, that's going to be a really hard thing to do for me and for my family. But can you imagine growing up without a family? Church, again, we need to get ourselves, our selfishness out of the equation. The idea that there are children out there with no one to love them and care for them should break all of our hearts. And if it doesn't, you need to spend some serious time on your knees with the Father and let Him work on your heart because it affects Him in a very real way. Now, I admit, I don't want to give you an easy out on this, but for the sake of not making anyone feel manipulated, I do need to say that there are a lot of ways that you can take care of orphans without adopting a child. That is a very real thing, okay? And we've been through those avenues before, and I don't want to take up a lot of time with that today, but if you're unclear as to how you can help with orphan care without actually adopting a child, you can come see me, you can see Bethany, you can see the Westbrooks, you can talk to the Meeks. We've got plenty of people in our church who know what that looks like, Okay? You can talk to Miss Crump right here too. She got some info. There's a real need out there. We've used orphan care today as the example, but listen, church, I want you to hear me say this. I got real strong emotions about adoption. You guys know that. That's not a surprise, okay? But this same level of intensity, this same level of energy, I have that for everything that God has told the church to do. We're using adoption today as the example, but you need to understand that when God gives us a command, it is this important. What I want us to see and understand that when, when, when the author of Ecclesiastes says to obey God's commands, he means all of them, not the ones that we want, not the ones that are easy. Listen, we cannot say that we desire to know God personally if we're not obeying and living The way he has spoken for us to live. Okay, so point number two I want to make to do is do what God has commanded. Because God's not mysterious about what he wants for us, from us, for in our lives, right? It's not a mystery. God's given us clear direction on how we are to love him and how we are to love our neighbors. We spend a lot of time talking about that. And if we're honest, loving others the way that God does is difficult, right? It is hard to love others the way that Jesus does. Let's talk about some hard stuff for a minute. I've been been watching this show. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's on Apple TV called The Long Way Up. Anybody watch that? No? Okay. It's a cool show. If you have Apple, check that out. Okay? It's this guy, Ewan, 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 I'm sorry, I was saying it wrong. Ewan McGregor. You guys know him as the young Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars movies. Okay? Everybody know young Obi-Wan? Not the old one from the originals. Okay, yeah, young. That's Ewan, okay? Ewan and his best friend, Charlie Borman, Um, do these trips. This is the third time they've done it where they'll go like thousands upon thousands of miles on motorcycles to see the world, okay? And in this particular um, series, they started at the very most southern tip of South America and they're driving all the way to Los Angeles on motorcycles. It's a really neat show. And they they video the whole thing. It's just these two guys on their motorcycles, okay? During one of the, not this last episode, but the one before that, Ewan shares a story from his first trip they called The Long Way Round okay? And on the long way around, they started in London, and they drove to New York. Not across the ocean. That doesn't work. They went the long way around, okay? And he tells the story that when they're on that trip, they're in this very remote part of Mongolia where the terrain was extremely treacherous. There's no roads. They're literally like off-roading on these street bikes, and they're only making 20 miles or so a day, and they're falling over constantly, and they're miserable. And so Ewan and his buddy Charlie, they stop, and they get their maps out, and they start to make a plan. And they realize that if they went north about a day's ride, they would be back in Russia and they could get on a highway and just skip that part of the trip. And they decide that's what we're going to do. And so they call the producer who's typically following them in a, in a truck with all the crew and camera and all that. And they call the producer and told them what their new plan was. And the producer said, you can do whatever you want to. But he said this, he said, remember why you're doing this. Remember why you're doing this. The whole point was for adventure for them. They wanted to see the world. But just because things got hard, they wanted to skip out on it. And so that was the motivation they needed, okay? And so they continued on through Mongolia, okay? When they finally get to their final destination, they, they go and they visit this orphanage. And when they walk in, they're introduced to all their kids. And there's this little toddler who's very quiet. She'll only speak to one of the other little girls. And they share with her that she's two years old. And they said that she was found two days prior to that, wandering the streets by herself. And they brought her into this orphanage. Well, Ewan immediately fell in love with this little girl. And he very quickly made the connection. If I would have changed my trip because things got hard, I would have missed the opportunity to adopt my daughter, Gemma. Listen, church, life often gets hard. And what our flesh wants to do is to take the easy way out, Right? We want to avoid the parts of life that are difficult. And we avoid God's commands when they look difficult because those things are hard. But we're missing the point. We're missing that knowing God in that specific way is important. God is trying to reveal Himself. And have you ever thought about the fact that when God tells you to do something, it's hard because you're not supposed to do it by yourself. We hear a word from God and we go, God, that's a big thing. And He's going, I know, you need me to do it. That's the point. The whole purpose of all of this is for us to learn to walk with God through those hard things so that we can know Him. The problems that we have had in churches in the past is that no one was willing to do the hard stuff. No one was willing to follow God. The church felt dead because no one was willing to obey what God was saying. That's where our frustration comes from. That's the frustration of people saying one thing and living a different way. What's missing is obedience. What's missing is a reliance on God. It's faith. The author of Ecclesiastes wrote all this down so that we could see from his life an example that the world is difficult. His conclusion is that we must live in a right relationship with God and do what he says. We can't live in right relationship with God and not do what he says. That's not how it works. If you're not doing what God says, you are not in right relationship with Him. And look again at verse 14. Let's read this together. It says, For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Now we understand that we live under grace because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, that He died for our sins. But I think that we forget that just because God has given us His grace, it doesn't mean that God is blind. God's grace doesn't hide our disobedience from God's eyes. He still sees it, right? We use grace as a get-out-of-jail-free card to not do what God's telling us to do. But if we are ignoring God's most basic commands, we cannot expect to know Him because we're not living the way He's called us to live. Just to be clear, we are forgiven, but Scripture also tells us that we're going to stand before God and give account for our actions. We are going to receive His grace, yes. We're going to receive His mercy, yes. But I don't know if you've ever been troubled trouble with a parent, but when you've got to stand there and you know they're going to forgive you, but you've got to confess your sin, that's not a fun moment. Look at Psalm 90, verse 8 with me, because I want us to understand this. It says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. God gives us His grace and He gives us His mercy, and we need it. We desperately need it. But it doesn't mean that God ignores our disobedience. Look at 1 Corinthians verses 4, 1-5. through 5. It says a person should think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. So don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring, light, uh, bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and reveal the intentions of hearts, and then praise will come to each one from God. Listen, church, our lives are a testimony to the broken world around us. That's what we've talked about this year, is that our decision is, To live life, to obey God, to walk into hard places is the light in the darkness. That's how we bring God's love into a broken world. It's not by coming to church on Sunday mornings and sitting in a pew and singing some songs and leaving feeling good about ourselves. Is it good? Yeah, that's good. But the difference that today is not, this moment that we have on Sunday mornings is not about making us feel good, it's about allowing the Lord to speak into our lives. It's about God having an opportunity to speak to a body like this. But our faith is lived outside of these walls. Our faith is lived when we wake up in the morning and we decide if we're going to live for ourselves or live for God. If we're living with our comfort and happiness in mind, we're not showing the goodness of God. Rather, we're showing the selfishness of our own hearts. And if we use the same example of adoption, the world knows that orphans should be taken care of, right? If the world didn't know that, we wouldn't have the foster care system. If the church was following God's commands, that agency would have a lot less to do. There's still a role for them. But if the church was being the church, there would not be children waiting right now. I've been told before that there's a large turnover of, of state social workers because of the incredible, incredible demand that are put on these people. They go into really hard situations and they have to make life-altering decisions in, in the lives of children and adults. And then often what they're then faced with is the fact that they've had to remove a child from a home for a lot of different reasons and then there's nowhere for them to go. And very quickly they get burned out because they've got all this responsibility and no resources to work with. And church, what I'm saying is that if we were living in obedience to God's command to take care of orphans, we would go out into the world and we would meet those social workers and their jobs would get a lot easier because not only are they getting quality homes for kids to live in, but they're getting a the light brought into their life too because of Christ who's in us. The purpose of all this is so that we can know God and to make Him, home, make him known. The last point I want to make today is that God intended for every person To know Him. We've talked about this all year, that in the beginning, God created us with one goal in mind. We were created to live with Him in the garden, walking together, enjoying His perfect creation. That's why we were created. God didn't create us and then make the world hard so we'd have to suffer and learn how to do it with Him. We know that the world is broken because sin entered the world through disobedience of Adam and Eve. And after that happened, we were separated from God And from his perfection. But God has been working ever since to restore that relationship. God wants to bring his people back to himself. And we know the story. We we read through Exodus when God delivers the law. And he did that to show our need for him. To point out to us that we are not inherently good. We are born with sin in our lives. And we are separated from him by that sin. That was the purpose of the law to show us that. But he didn't just stop there. He didn't just point out our sin and say, okay, you're sinners, congratulations. He went a step further and he sent his son who lived a perfect life, who never sinned, who walked this earth healing people, taking care of people, loving people in a way that had never happened before. And then he sacrificed his own life to repair the brokenness in the world. He gave himself up. He took the punishment that we received or that we should have received. And he did that for you and he did it for me. And look, I want to say if you're, if you're here today and you've never heard that message before or you're not sure what I'm talking about, please come talk to me afterwards. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never experienced the goodness of God's grace, I'd like to share that with you. If you are here today and you have received the gift of salvation, it's imperative, church, that we share that with other people, that we don't keep that for ourselves. God came and he gave himself to this broken world so that we could know him and experience his love. The world discovers God's love when we share who we know God to be. We talk about this in new member training, that we are to know God by experience progressively more and more every day. And when we are living that way, when we are pursuing God daily, his love is coming out of us. That's the way he intended it to be. The world discovers God's love and we show people who He is by the way that we live. Listen, I've, I've said a lot today about living in obedience, but I want to leave you with this final thought, okay? If we speak of God's goodness, if we quote His words, put Scripture on our social media, and then we live only for ourselves, we're part of the brokenness. We're not bringing God's love, we're bringing more brokenness. Church, we've got to be who we say we are. And I I say this all the time, and I, I hope that you hear my heart, that I'm not pointing fingers at anybody today. I don't write these messages with a person in mind. I write down what the Lord shares with me, okay? God's desire is that we would worship Him in spirit and truth, and that means that we're the same people that we say that we are. That the things that we claim are important to us are actually important to us. That means that we're living for God and not for ourselves, But church, we need help. We can't do that in our own power. Look at verse 11 in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 with me. He says, the sayings of the wise are like cattle prods, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. The sayings are given by one shepherd. We broke that down in the first message, but I want to say this. Life is hard, and sometimes we need God to use a cattle prod to push us into the right direction. Remember we talked about how cattle, when cattlemen work them, they use, it's like a taser on a stick, but not quite as powerful. Because the cattle need to go into a pen so that you can safely handle them. But the cows don't want to go there. They're scared of it. Makes a lot of noise, doesn't look natural. They're not, they're not having it. And so you use the cattle prod to gently push them into where they need to be so that they can be taken care of. So that they can get the things they need in order to live a good life and grow to their full potential. And church, these words, these words of wisdom, these words that we've spent a year looking at are those cattle prods. It's God's desire for us to move into, y'all saw what I just did there? Move into, it just happened and I had to say it out loud. Sorry, my dad. It happens. Can't get away from it. God wants to use this study in conjunction with all that we've experienced this year to gently push us into the places that we need to be, into the hard places that He's commanded and called us into so that we can grow to our full potential. And as we do that, we are God's love in a broken world. Even though the process is scary, we still need to go. This study's been our cattle prod. We're a group of men, women, and children who are called to forsake everything for the sake of the gospel for the sake of letting the people around us know the love of god to experience the same things that we have experienced it's good and it's healthy for us to do that god loves his people and i looked this up yesterday because i didn't know the number but there are 7.8 billion people on this earth and god wants every one of them to know that he loves them and we're the way that's going to happen this little church Not saying the responsibility is all ours, but we have a portion of it, right? We're about to enter um, a season of Advent. I know people don't like talking about Christmas before Thanksgiving gets here, unless you do. My brother in law, my brother's already got his Christmas tree up. Whatever. You do you, okay? But listen, we're about to enter a season that's all about Jesus. And what a great opportunity for us to be able to share this message of love and of hope that God has. I've, God's already given me the title for this Advent season's messages. It's going to be called A New Beginning because we all need a new beginning, right? We're done with 2020, okay? And Jesus is that new beginning. We talk about it every year, okay? But we're going to look at that this year. And we're going to see how God is calling us as a people to share that love in this world. And we're going to do that using the Christmas story, okay? Jesus was born into a broken world to show us who God is and how much he loves us. So church, let's bring love and joy and hope into this world by just loving God and doing what he says. Let's pray together. God, you've challenged me incredibly this week. Father, I hope that that this wouldn't be just for me. That you are working in the hearts and the minds of all of our church. God, that that we would be driven by your love to be obedient. That we wouldn't do it because Will made us feel bad about something. That we wouldn't pursue you because we're supposed to. God, my hope, my desire, my plea is that people would be motivated by who you are to be made into your likeness. That we would get past the point of, of fearing the difficult. And move into a posture of faith. That you would call us into the hard things. And that we would trust you to do what you do. That you would teach us to trust in your strength and not in our own. Father, we love you. and love you so much. Please help us to be the people that you need us to be. That you desire for us to be. Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen.